Well, we're continuing in the book of Revelation, and uh, two weeks ago we were in Revelation 4 and 5, and we saw this scene in the throne room. We saw God the Father seated on the throne of heaven, and He had a scroll in His right hand, and we saw that that scroll contains His sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. But there was only one who was worthy to unfold, uh, to unroll that scroll, to unfold God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption, and it's Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. And because he died and rose again, he is worthy to unfold God's sovereign plan of redemption. Well, so that was two weeks ago. Last week, we were in Revelation 6, and we saw Jesus begin to unroll the scroll. Uh, The scroll was sealed with seven seals, and one by one, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, began to uh, remove, open one of those seals. We saw when he opened the first four seals, uh, conquest, violence, famine, death. We saw when he opened the fifth seal, those who had been slain for the word of God, Christian martyrs, their souls in heaven crying for justice. And then the sixth seal was opened and we saw the announcement, these cataclysmic signs that judgment day had come, the day of the Lord had come. And and we said that that scroll Uh, And and what we see unfolded in these six seals, uh, the scroll contains God's plan for the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And that last seal looks at the very end of that time period, right before Jesus is coming back, right before he is about to return. And at that point, those who dwell on the earth ask a sobering question. Look at verse 16 of Revelation chapter 6. They call to the mountains and the rocks and they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And then catch this, and who can stand? Who can stand when the wrath of King Jesus comes? Who can stand When the final judgment comes, who can stand? It's a sobering question, a chilling question. But the question that ends chapter 6 gets a beautiful answer in chapter 7. So with that, let's read Revelation chapter 7. Since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 1, the Holy Spirit says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. 
And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seal, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, just uh, early, early, early in the wee hours of the morning Saturday, our group from uh, our youth group came back from D three youth camp, and uh, that's and so if you are next to a youth, make sure you elbow them. If you see them nodding off, uh, they had a busy week, a, a good week, and uh, but they took a, a, a long van ride uh, back to uh, to Stephenville this week. And um, I thought I would share the story of my longest van ride, not because it was long in time, but um, I'll explain why it was so long. I, I was in Mexico in high school on a mission trip with my youth group. And uh, we worked with a ministry in Mexico that had a base in the city 
uh, with all the uh, amenities and everything that, that you would need, but there was a group of us, a team, who spent the week not at the base, but we actually drove two and a half hours out into the country to this small remote village there in, in Oaxaca, Mexico. And uh, we spent our days building a retaining wall with our bare hands and no tools. We spent our nights sleeping on the hard, cold cement floor of their unfinished church building. There was no uh, running water, uh, there was no indoor plumbing, there was no way to bathe. We ate whatever they put in front of us, which left us all extremely sick. And uh, then we, uh, we get to the end of the week, and it's time for that group to all pile in a 15-passenger van and go on our two-and-a-half-hour but mountainous, unpaved, bumpy road uh, all the way back to home base uh, there in the city. And I tell you, it was two and a half hours, but it was the longest two and a half hours of my life. You can imagine the smells. Uh, You can imagine uh, after five days of digging in the dirt without bathing, all the layers of grime and filth. And you can imagine after uh, quite a severe amount of sickness, um, Every bump was a disaster. <laughs> Every bump was terrifying. Uh, it, it was two and a half hours, but it, it wasn't because we had to stop, because people had to stop, pull on the side of the road and, and get out and do things that sick people have to do when they're riding on a bumpy van ride. And, and I'm telling you, I prayed every second of that ride. Every bump was another amen. Every minute that went by was a prayer just to get us home. And I was the whole time dreaming about getting back to that base. I was dreaming about the shower I was going to take that was going to wash off the layers of dirt and grime that were on me. I was dreaming about the soft mattress I was going to get to lie down in. I was dreaming about the food that they cooked there that was safe and gentle on weak American stomachs. (laughs) What kept me going through that whole ride, that terrifying and uh, difficult ride, was a vision of home base. What kept me going was a vision of home base. In Revelation 7, Jesus looks at weary, exhausted saints, and he gives us a vision of home base. He gives us a taste, a preview of what is coming for us. He shows us how He will be faithful to preserve His people through tribulation. He shows us a vision of the ultimate family reunion that we will get to experience. He shows us the great reward that we have awaiting us on the other side 
of our perilous journey. And this is a vision that we desperately need if we are going to endure through this life. As we face tribulation in this world, we need to see this vision and be reminded that the worst things that can happen to us in this world are not strong enough to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we face temptation to compromise with the world and to give in to idolatry and worldliness, we need this vision before us to remind us that no worldly pleasure can compare to the delights awaiting us at home at the end of our journey. And as we seek to endure and bearing witness before the nations, we need this vision of what the end goal is. This end goal that one day, There will be people from every tribe and tongue and language around the throne of God. This is a vision that we need to see as we endure through this life. And the central message of Revelation 7 for us today is this. Jesus will bring all His people home. Jesus will bring all His people home home. If that's true, then I see three ways that we ought to respond to that truth in Revelation chapter 7. Jesus will bring all his people home. So, number one, trust Jesus' precise protection. Trust Jesus' precise protection. Look with me again at verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. The four winds uh, in the Old Testament was a picture of judgment. So what John is seeing here is these angels restraining judgment. And keep going in verses 2 and 3. He says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So this other angel comes to the four angels who are, who are restraining judgment from coming on the earth. And he says, wait, don't let that judgment come until we have sealed the people of God, the servants of God. Well, what is this seal? Well, it's a symbol that these people belong to God. In fact, in Revelation 14.1, we're going to see that this seal that's on their foreheads is the name of Jesus. It's the name of also God the Father. God looks at his servants, his people, and he says, they are mine. I'm putting my name on them because they belong to me. And they belong to him because, as we saw in Revelation 5, Jesus has purchased them for God. They belong to him. 
And so he puts his name on them and says, they belong to me. They've been purchased by the blood of my son so that they would be protected before this judgment comes on the earth. It's like when God was getting ready to take the lives of the firstborn of Egypt. But God's servants put the blood of the Passover lamb over their doorposts. And when that blood was seen, it was a sign that those are the servants of God. And so the judgment passed over them. That's what we have going on here. God looks at his people and he seals them. He puts his name on them and says that he, they belong to me. And he promises protection on them before the judgment comes. Well, then in verse 4, John hears a symbolic description of protected believers. Listen to verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then as we read before, there's this list of uh, 12 uh, groups of 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we should understand this is a symbolic description of the church. Uh, and there's a number of reasons why I think we should understand this to be a symbolic description of the church. And um, there, there's many that I would be happy to share with you. Uh, there's, I'm only going to m- mention three, uh, but if you'd like to hear more, uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. But first of all, as we already saw, these are uh, re- described in the first part of chapter 7 as the servants of God. And this is a term that John has already used in Revelation to describe Christians. If you look back at the very first verse of Revelation, uh, John writes, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show to his servants the things that must soon take place." Uh, and then in Revelation 2.20, whenever uh, Jesus was giving the message to the church in Thyatira, he condemns Jezebel for seducing his servants, the members of the church in Thyatira. So that's one reason. They're called the servants of God. Uh, second, this list of the 12 tribes is different than any other list of the 12 tribes in the Old Testament, any, in, different than any literal list of the 12 tribes. Uh, there's a number of differences. The, the main one is that Judah is listed first. Even before Reuben, who was the firstborn, who normally would have been listed first. And by putting Judah at the top of the list, it brings to mind how the Messiah came from the tribe of Judah. Uh, Jesus Christ was a descendant of Judah. And by highlighting the tribe that the Messiah comes from, it points us, it indicates that this is not a literal list of uh, of. Jewish people. Instead, this is a symbolic description of those who have placed faith in the Lion of Judah, the Messiah, for salvation. And then the the third reason why I think we should take this as a symbolic description of the church is because it's very similar to another symbolic description that we're going to see at the end of Revelation, in Revelation 21, uh, the New Jerusalem. Uh, the New Jerusalem is, uh, is told, uh, we're told that it, there's 12 gates uh, that each are correspond with the 12 sons of Jacob. And then there's also 12 foundations that correspond with the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So 12 and 12 symbolizing the complete people of God from every nation and tribe and tongue all together as the New Jerusalem. 
there's other symbolic numbers there. The, uh, the dimensions of the city are 12,000 by 12,000. The wall is 144 uh, cubits tall. And so all of these numbers continue to point us to, uh, to point us symbolically to the reality of the church, the whole church, the entire people of God. Uh, the people who in the next section are going to be called a countless multitude from every tribe and people and language and nation. So why this symbol? Why a list of 12 groups of 12,000? Why this number, 144,000? Well, these numbers, this list points us to the fact that God's protection is precise. Precise. When God saves his people, when he saves all his people, there is not one individual who is missing from the multitude. Jesus said that he knows his sheep by name. And this symbol points us to a reminder that his protection, this seal that he puts on his people is precise. Not one is missing. All these verses point us to the reality that Jesus protects his people through judgment. He protects his people through judgment. Our experience as the people of God on earth, our experience of judgment is different than that of unbelievers' experience of God's judgment. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, we read how Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia, because you have kept my word, about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And what he shows us here is that the hour of trial is directed toward unbelievers, toward those who dwell on the earth. Those who keep his word, those who believe the gospel are kept, they are protected, they are sealed. Believers' experience of God's judgment is different than that of unbelievers. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we don't experience the physical effects of God's judgment on earth. We saw in Revelation 6 some of the examples of what God's judgment on earth looks like. Wars and mass shootings, economic instability, pandemics. These things affect our lives physically. So then if it doesn't mean physical protection, then what does it mean? Well, it means that God promises to protect us spiritually through tribulation. God promises to preserve his people through the suffering of this world. And he promises that we will be preserved until we get to the other side. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. 
God's seal on us is a guarantee that we will make it home. It's a guarantee that He will preserve us through the sufferings of this world and bring us safely home. What we need to remember in all this is that the worst thing that could happen to us is not pestilence. The worst thing that could happen to us is not famine or violence. The worst thing that could happen to us is not even death. The worst thing that could happen to us is that we stop believing in Jesus. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is that we would be separated from God. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is that we would have to face the wrath of God on all those who do not trust in Christ. But the great hope of this passage for those of us who are in Christ is that we have been sealed. God will preserve us. We may face tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, but none of that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We may face tribulation, but we will not face wrath. We may suffer, but our souls will not be lost. We may lose our physical lives, But God promises we will not lose our faith. He will preserve His people through tribulation and bring us safely home. The hymn, How Firm a Foundation, the last two verses, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. That soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Jesus will bring all his people home. So trust in Jesus' precise protection. Second, rejoice in Jesus' global salvation. If Jesus will bring all his people home, then we ought to rejoice in Jesus' global salvation. Now, as we continue on in Revelation 7, I want to remind you of something that we read back in Revelation 5. In Revelation 5, John tells us how, he was, uh, how it was revealed to him, how uh, Jesus was revealed to him in the throne room of God. First, he hears something. He hears about the lion of the tribe of Judah, the uh, root of David. He hears that, but then he sees something else. He sees a lamb who was slain. Now, he hears one thing, he sees something different, but both are describing the same person, Jesus Christ. What he hears and what he saw describe the same thing. Well, the same thing happens here in Revelation 7. What we've just seen is that John heard 
the number of the seal, the 144,000. But look what he saw in verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. So John heard this number, 144,000, but then he saw a great multitude that no human being could ever count. He heard a list of the tribes of Israel, but then he saw this multitude from every tribe and every nation. He sees here a fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 and verses 17 and 18. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So what started with Abraham's 12 great-grandsons will end with a multitude as many as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. What started with God promising a blessing on Abraham to make him one great nation will end with all the nations of the earth being blessed. And all of it comes through the offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain. Notice that this great multitude is holding palm branches in their hands. Palm branches were a part of the celebration of the Feast of Booths, uh, one of the feasts that God gave to the people of Israel, and he gave it to them to remind them of the time that they were in the wilderness and they were living in tents because they were sojourners. And it was a reminder that God had brought them safely through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. So now what we see is the multitude, the church of Jesus Christ, around the throne, waving palm branches, celebrating that God preserved them through the wilderness of tribulation and brought them safely to the ultimate promised land, the very throne of God. They're celebrating, and John hears what their celebration is in verse 10, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They rejoice in the salvation that is finally complete. The final salvation where they have been saved through this world. And they have been saved now even from the very presence of sin. They rejoice in God on the throne who authored a plan of redemption. Who has now completed His plan of redemption. As all the people of God now stand reunited before the throne of God. They rejoice in the Lamb, the one who took the wrath of God that they deserved for their sin as their substitute. They rejoice in the Lamb who preserved them through this world, through this life. And they rejoice in the Lamb who has now brought them safely home. 
The angels of heaven join in the celebration in verses 11 and 12. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, These beings we've already seen are worshiping without end. They are already offering ceaseless worship to God, and now they just have one more reason to celebrate, one more reason to praise this God, because He has accomplished salvation for His people. This is our future if we are in Christ. This scene This moment before the throne, this is your future if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you are part of this multitude. You are among the countless number before the throne of God. And we need to see that this is the end goal of the Great Commission. One day, people from every nation, from all tribes from all languages will be before the throne of God. But they'll only be there if they call on the name of the Lord. But they can't call on the name of the Lord unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they cannot believe in whom of whom they have never heard. They can't believe in Jesus if they haven't heard about Jesus, but they're not going to hear about Jesus unless someone preaches the gospel to them. But no one will preach the gospel to them unless they are sent. This is why we go. This is why we proclaim the gospel. This is why we send missionaries. This is why we support missionaries. This is why we give our lives to being and making disciples of Jesus, not only in Erath County, but in all the world. It's because of this moment. It's because of this end goal. It's because of this finish line, this family reunion that we are awaiting. Among this multitude are going to be believers from Stephenville, Texas, who speak English, and believers from Stephenville, Texas, who speak Spanish. Among this multitude, there are going to be believers from Durango, Colorado. Among this multitude are going to be believers from Mexico and Bolivia. Among this multitude are going to be believers from Bosnia and Poland. Among this multitude are going to be believers from Uganda and South Sudan. Among this multitude are going to be believers from the islands of South Asia. This is why we go. This is why we send. This is why we proclaim the good news that Jesus can save anyone from any nation and any tribe. Jesus will bring all His people home. So may we rejoice in Jesus' global salvation. And may that joy at that day drive us to proclaim the good news so that more people might be part of that countless multitude. Rejoice in Jesus' global salvation. Finally, if Jesus will bring all His people home, 
than hope in Jesus' sheltering presence. Hope in Jesus' sheltering presence. In verse 13, John is asked a question. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And if I'm John, I'm thinking, um, you're the one giving me a revelation? How about you tell me who these people are? But John, more politely than that, says in verse 14, "Uh, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So John's already used this term, tribulation, to refer to the period of time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Back in Revelation 1, 9, John referred to himself as, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Uh, so this is a period of time that John and his readers were living in. It's the period of time that you and I are living in today. And it's a period of time that ends with Jesus' return. That day that Jesus comes, he comes to judge the living and the dead. And as we saw in Revelation 6, unbelievers bracing themselves to receive the wrath of Jesus say this great day of the wrath of God has come and who can stand? This is who can stand. The multitude can stand. They are standing before the throne. This countless multitude is able to stand at the coming of Jesus Christ. And how can they stand? Because they are clothed in white robes. They're clothed in white robes. They're ready. They're prepared. Uh, whenever God was getting ready to make the, uh, the covenant at Sinai with Israel, uh, he, before he would enter that covenant with them, he made them wash their clothes to prepare themselves uh, to come before him. Well, what we see here is that this multitude of people is prepared. They're ready. They're consecrated. They're worthy to come before God and stand in His presence. Why? Because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They are worthy, not because of any worthiness in and of themselves, but because they have trusted in the death of Jesus to make them worthy. They're able to stand on that great day of the wrath of God because Jesus has already taken the wrath that they deserve and they have trusted in his death to make them white. They're only worthy because of Jesus' death. Well, if we trust in Jesus' blood to wash us white, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, John gives us a glimpse of the future that awaits us. Look at verse 15. Therefore, because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Those who trust in Jesus will spend eternity 
and a new heaven and a new earth delighting in the presence of their God. God will dwell with his people on earth. They get to delight in his presence, in his temple. Now, Revelation 21 teaches us that there's not a literal temple in the new heavens and the new earth. In fact, Revelation 21 tells us the temple is God. The temple is the Lamb because every inch of the new earth is a place where we will experience the presence of God. Nevertheless, what these believers, what all those in Christ will experience one day is what David longed for in Psalm 27.4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let's continue in verse 16. See this future that awaits those in Christ. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. So glorious about this is it's not just that Jesus saves us from the wrath of God, and that's it. It's not just that he's like, well, you don't have to experience punishment anymore, and so after that, though, you're on your own. No, what God promises for his people is not just save, being saved from wrath, but he promises to provide for all of our needs, for all of eternity. Never will we hunger. Never will we thirst. We will be totally and completely blessed and satisfied in our God. As we walk through this life of tribulation, it's as if we are in the open country, exposed to the sun, striking us, scorching us with its heat. But when we get home, we will be under the shelter of God's tent, protected from anything that would do us harm. Look at verse 17. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. On that day, the Lamb is the shepherd. On that day, we will be able to say like we've never said before, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to springs of living water. The elder here quotes Isaiah 25, 8, which says, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. When we see this future hope that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, what we need to understand is that's not superficial. It's not just that God comes to us and cheers us up. No, the tears are gone because the source of the tears are gone. The tears are gone because death is gone. 
The tears are gone because shame is gone. He swallows up death forever. Everything that would cause us one tear is gone. And never will we cry again. What a precious gift to believers enduring tribulation that God would give us this vision of home. This vision of home, of safety, of provision, of reunion, this vision of the all-satisfying presence of our God, this is the vision that we must have before our eyes if we are going to make it in this life. This has to be the vision. As Scott prayed before, we have to have this vision of what awaits us if we are to make it through this life. And if we keep this before us, we can. Even as we may experience in this world abandonment, estrangement, loneliness, we look forward to the day that we are in the presence of God never to be separated again. Even as we experience hunger and as people experience even famine now or being unable to put food on the table now, we long for the day where we will hunger and thirst no more. As we walk through this world, tempted by worldly pleasure, we keep this vision before us to remind us of the all-satisfying God who is better than anything this world has to offer. As we walk through this world afraid that we might not be good enough on that judgment day, this vision reminds us that the only way we stand on that day is by the blood of the Lamb. As we walk through this world and we face death and sorrow, we can make it because of the vision of the day when every tear will be wiped away and all we will know is streams of living water. Jesus will bring all his people home. So hope in Jesus' sheltering presence. The journey home is treacherous. But Jesus will protect the souls of every single individual one of his people. Along the way, along this treacherous journey, Jesus will save people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And at the end of our journey, he will give us the delight of his sheltering presence. So we walk this journey 
with this truth before us. Jesus will bring all his people home. Let's pray together. Father, what a gift you've given us in promising your protection. What a gift you've given us in showing us a vision of home. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed these things to us. And Lord, we ask that you would shape us by them. Lord, that even as we face tribulation that causes us to think, I don't know if my faith can make it this time, that you would remind us that you have set your seal on us as the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Lord, as we look at the world around us, Lord, I pray that you would shape us by that vision of the countless multitude and it would drive us to go to the nations, to invest our time, our money, our attention toward getting the gospel to the nations so that we might see more people from more nations as part of that multitude. And Lord, I I pray that we would be shaped by the vision of your sheltering presence, knowing that all the pain we endure isn't isn't able to be compared to the glory that awaits. Lord, I pray that you would keep this vision of home before us, that we would trust you to get us home, and that we would endure in the strength that you supply. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.